I was moved in our times with the Lord, in our time of of uh, praising Him and honoring Him and turning our hearts toward Him and realizing who He is. And, you know, this, uh, as we saw, sang that song about holy, you know, I got to thinking about what it's like, what it must be like to be unique in all the world like Him. You know, He is holy. He is different than us. And I think one of the greatest joys we have as uh, Christians and, and as humans is to be made in the image of God. Is that cool? That's really cool. And one of the greatest tragedies in the world is that we have made God in our image. And so we are not God. We are nothing like Him. He is unique. He is holy. He is perfect. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, always present. He is holy. And so when we sing songs like this, it just reminds me of how privileged we are to serve a holy, mighty God. So none of that was what I was going to share, but it just, you know, doesn't, don't things happen to you in worship where you get your minds cleansed, where you get a perspective enhanced, where God wants to show us something about himself, and it's so precious. So, um, anyway, I, I thoroughly enjoy our time, of, uh, our time of worship. So today we're going to continue with our series, What Did You Do With My Son? And you may... Um, remember last week as we kicked off our series, what did you do with my son? It's kind of the question that I think God is going to ask you every single day, if you're alert to hear him. Um, Today, Pat, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? As a result of knowing him, what did you do with my son? And last week we spoke about him being the great completer. That what he initiates in our life, he is so good and faithful to complete it in our life. He is the great completer. And so last week we spoke on that. And today in scripture, um, it's our desire and our heart for you to know that you function as his representative here on earth. As his deputized representative of his kingdom coming to earth. And so he's going to, I believe, minister that to us as we uh, take that in. We're going to be going through a a pretty long scripture because don't you know that in the word is the power of the living God? And not in what I have to say, in his word. And so we're going to look at that. And I, I remember um, just a few weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, Dennis Lappin shared with us Romans ten nine that says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is an incredible story about what it means to be, in one verse, a follower of Jesus, we get that opportunity to be his disciple, to grow in him, to learn of him, and to be his ambassador. You know, 
Um, we're going to be talking primarily about Jesus giving us the opportunity to be his ambassador. Him from another kingdom, kingdom of God, putting his life in us and we get to represent him in this world that is unique and different because and he is holy. And so, what does it mean to be an ambassador? Well, as you probably know, an ambassador is someone who represents the leadership of another nation in a foreign nation. And that's what you are. You get to represent the kingdom of God here on earth. You are an ambassador, is what he calls us to. And so, therefore, the ambassador's words matter. Their life, the way they say things, uh, is not indicative of what's going on in them, but rather what the person that sent them wants them to do. And so we get to be an ambassador for Christ. And I know that's a heavy. You know, some of you are thinking, I came to be encouraged not to have a heaviness. But you know, it's, it's good to have truth. It's good to have truth. And and it always is. It really is. It's good to know exactly where things are, and it's good to know exactly th- where things aren't. But God has called us to be an ambassador. And so I believe that today's going to be energizing to you. I believe that in the middle of discovery of uh, what God wants to say to you, um, you're going to be encouraged. Because you walk through tough days, all of us do. We all have the, those tough days and we all um, need to, in the middle of our tough days, walk according to his leadership as his ambassador. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time that you've given us. I thank you, O oh Lord, that you have set apart this day from the beginning of time that we would gather together as your kids, adopted into your family, disciples of you, the Holy One. And Lord, I just ask that you would use your word to pierce our thinking and our desires so that we might be fully functioning disciples of you. Lord, what a privilege and honor it is to be adopted into your family, to be invited into what you're doing. And so God, I just ask that you would help my... um, Inability to really communicate. Help me, O God. That I might express, Lord, your great purpose in us being your ambassadors during our brief time here on this planet. Father, I thank you for the time. I thank you for every person that's here. They're here at your invitation. They have purpose. I thank you for every person that is watching online, God. I thank you that you have called us to hear what's on your heart. And so, Lord, we bless you and we thank you for this time in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, God loves diversity. We can look around and see that we're a diverse group of people. He loves diversity. We can look at plants and see them so different from each other. We can look at animals and see they are radically different from each other. We can look at landscapes and see how each thing is different and so God loves diversity but he did give some common things that we are to do in common in conjunction with one another and one of those hearts 
It is found and expressed by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to go there in a second. And he's going to share with us that we have this opportunity to join him in what he's doing. And so we're going to read in that and we're going to see that although there's all these differences, each of you have maybe, maybe you're single, maybe you're married, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't have kids, maybe you have a father or mother alive, maybe you don't, maybe you're involved in a work, maybe you're unemployed, maybe you're retired. We're all different, but there's a common thing that God has called us to, and that is what we're going to discover, the message of reconciliation. God has called us to be people that he involves in his message, his plan to reconcile with the Holy God. So he has given us that opportunity. So let's just kind of jump into this call. Uh, We're going to read in 2 Corinthians starting at verse uh, 7. And... um, So instead of reading the whole little passage that I want to, you know me, got to take it one at a time, dig in a little bit. There's so much there in his word. So we'll start in verse 7. For we live by faith and not by sight. There's a difference. Living by sight means that I take all that I know, all that I've experienced, all that I've observed in you, and I live according to what I've learned. That's good. That's wisdom. That's, that's really good. But what he's called us to do is not be limited by that. Because believe it or not, no matter who you are or how smart you are, um, that's limiting. He's called us to live a life where we live by faith. We live in something that is supernatural, not just limited to our own natural understanding. So sight means that we value and we anticipate the outcomes based on what's in front of us. You make a decision from that and then we start living that way. That's sight. But faith expects a God intervention to happen. Something from the supernatural is going to come and I'm going to embrace that, believe that, anticipate that, And walk with what God has there. Living by faith is not denying the natural in some mystical, head-in-the-sand way. It's not that. That may be religion, but that's not Christianity. So it's not that. Faith is acknowledging the natural, but anticipating... The supernatural because of Holy Spirit empowerment. That's faith. That's being able to walk into the never experienced before. That's what's being able to walk into the never seen happen on the planet before. That's walking in faith. Now I could give you a lot of different illustrations of this. and I'm just going to give one. Um, For the first third of my mission trips, which is a third of them is about 20, for the first 20, I had a gringo stomach. I got sick all the time. I got sick all the time. And you'd say, well, why do you go back? Well, the message is too important not to. 
And so I got sick. And so I remember going to this one church. And it came time after we worshipped and we shared the word. It came time for ministry. And one thing I've been very impressed with in mission trips is that people are hungry to encounter God. Are you hungry to encounter God? What about today? Are you hungry to encounter God? Well, there was a gentleman named Victor. And he was blind in one eye. And he came to encounter Jesus. He came to the front. And I, the one who's about to pray for him, am sick as a dog. I mean, I am sick. Okay, how does that work? Don't you have faith, Pat? Well, yeah, I had faith, but I was sick. Well, how come you were, how come you were sick? I mean, aren't you supposed to believe that God heals? Yes, I did, and I do. But by sight, I was not there. I was not doing well. And so, here comes Victor. And when I asked through my translator, how can we pray for you? He says, I want to see. And so, by faith, because it's not by sight in me, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm personally feeling low. But his word, this word, is the power of the living God. And so, when I exercise my belief that he meant what he said, and I step out in my belief, not in my sight, God does things. He does things for you too, not just me. And so, he healed Victor. He gave Victor his sight. Victor came in expectation. I prayed in belief. He got his sight back. And he could see. Walking by faith is not being limited by how you're feeling, by what you know, by how bad you um, don't feel you're walking with God. Walking by faith is entrusting God for what he said in his word and simply standing there. Verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away with, uh, from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. He's, he's, um, 2 Corinthians, um, what was going on is Paul... Paul had, a, uh, had to bring some correction to the Corinthians, and so he wrote a letter, and we don't have that first letter. We have the second letter, which we call 1 Corinthians. And then people got upset about that, and so he wrote a third letter. We don't have the third letter. We have the fourth letter, which is really what we call 2 Corinthians. How do we know this? You just have to read First and Second Corinthians. He refers to these letters. And so he's having trouble in this particular letter with false teachers coming in, Christian leaders, and they're coming in and they're, they're spreading things that are not according to how the Lord has already explained that we should live and how we should be as his church. And so he's correcting all these things and talking about it. At the time, they thought uh, when, when, they die, when you die, you, your spirit and soul is separated and you never get another body in heaven. 
And so he's, he's, he's correcting this in 2 Corinthians. You can read the different parts of it. So he, he does a little bit of talking about what it's like to live here and what it's like to be with God. And he's doing that. But what I want us to focus in on is that verse 9. So we make our goal to please him. So do we make it our daily goal to please Jesus? I mean, do we? Um, I have goals. And, and I even, many times when I used to be more diligent and use a timer, I need to get back to that, where I can really capture what my to-do list and what are. But usually we set our daily um, goals on what needs to get done. Or maybe it's just how to get through my pain and personal disappointments. Maybe that's your goal. I just got to get through today. Maybe your goal is a little higher. I've got to get these eight things done or 18 things. Normally, I, 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 I put the 18 things down on Saturday. And then I come to Sheila and I said, here's my list. And Sheila said, you'll get three done. Do these three. <laughs> I have these big goals. I just, I need her so much in my life. But... Um, but do I, do I have as my goal to please Him? Do I set daily goals? And do those goals include getting with God, hearing God, and following what I hear? Actually, I like the New English translation a little bit better. It's a great translation. Um, easier to find online than it is in print. But uh, in verse 9, it it, it changes the word goal, it gives a different word, and I think New American Standard does the same thing. So then, whether we are alive or away, we make it our ambition to please Him. Slightly different thought than our goals. Our ambition. You know, we go after what we are ambitious for. We, we go after it. I remember that... Um, I wanted to go to college because I wanted to be a writer. And in 10th grade, uh, they have this test. It's called the, I don't know if they still have it, but it was called the PSAT, like the pre-SAT test. They still have that? Okay, so I took that, and after I took it, they bring me into the uh, guidance counselor office, and they said, Mr. McGuffin, you're going to have an amazing life. It's just not going to college. And... I, I was devastated. I was like, no, I need, I need that journalism degree. So I buckled down because I had it as my ambition to go to college. And I was able to go to college. I had as my ambition someday to find a godly wife. It's an ambition. As a single guy, that was my ambition. And I was able, so I kept my eyes alert. And I got a godly wife. I, I had as my ambition when I got out of, the, out of school and started building newspapers, I had my ambition to, to be the best newspaper in the state of Florida. And we got that in our circulation category. It was an ambition. I had an ambition to build a, a strong printing brokers co company. And we, we were able to do that over the course of time. And now I have as my ambition to disciple our people at freedom having a heart sold out to God. That's my ambition. 
That's my ambition. So what does that look like to me? To me, that means that you move from an adolescent to an adult, meaning you know how to feed yourself in his word. You're in his word. It means that you're not content to just know something. You want to do something. You want to take what God puts in you and do something. It means that you want to experience all the Holy Spirit's power you can in serving him because you know you're not good enough apart from his Holy Spirit. That's what it means. It means getting involved with people. And quite frankly, it means what you see on the wall in, in the uh, foyer. I want you to continue to know God at a greater extent every single day. I'd love for you to get freer and freer, to find freedom in those things that have held you back, that you're stuck in. I'd love for you to discover clearly, what is your purpose for me today, Lord? And I'm all in. I want you to make a difference. Don't just be content with what you know, but be involved in bringing his kingdom here, now. What does it look like to you? What do your ambitions look like, and do they include God on a daily basis? Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us, For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Um, As a Christian, do you believe that you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? I mean, I hope you do because we just read that. (laughs) But I would say that many people don't. Many people think we skip that if you're a Christian because your name is written in the book of life. And you just kind of slide past that one. Man. I'm in. When I die, I go to heaven. Here we go. And you do stop at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul was very, uh, in in Greek and Roman days, this judgment seat was a big deal. It was a a place of power and uh, discernment of what's next for your life. You stop at that place. You do. Now, your salvation is a free gift of God. You, you, you haven't been able to earn it. And so in his grace, he sent his son. Who would live a perfect life. And he would take on him your sin. Your breaking of God's standards. He would take it all. And so salvation is free. But sometimes we think that we can just keep on moving on. And I think I shared this term last week. I hope it bothers you. I run into far too many Christian atheists. What is that? Aren't they opposed to each other? Yeah, they are. But for some reason, we have this feeling that we can have a prayer with God... And although we would never say this out of our mouth, but we live whatever way we want. We live as if God is not in the picture. So, Christian, atheist, that God is not in the picture. So I think without considering what he wants. I, my ambitions of the day are what I want, not what he wants. My 
decisions on what to do when I'm uncomfortable, I do what I want. That's an atheist. An atheist is someone who lives as if God is not in the picture. And so I don't want to be a Christian atheist. I don't want you to be a Christian atheist. I want you to be a Christian. One who embraces holy God and says, I'm all in. Let's go for it, God. I'm all in. Whatever it takes, and I know it's not always going to be what I want. But I'm here for you, not for me. And so we consider the ways of God. And so this Christian atheism is a predominant today. We, we come at things where we say we believe God so that we can be called a Christian. But what he's looking at is, do you live for my son? Who I gave for you. Verse 11. So then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. So here he's saying, hey, because you know you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, uh, we live in the fear of the Lord. In other words, a rational person, if you knew that you're going to go before the judgment seat of God, and he's going to review your life start to finish... Yeah, you're going to go to heaven, but he's still going to review your life start to finish. Your motives, your thinking, your decisions, your actions. He's going to review all that. Because of that, we have a healthy fear of God. That's what this verse is saying. It says, we know what it is to fear the God. We try to persuade others. Do you have a healthy fear of God? A healthy reverence for God? A healthy awe of Almighty God? I mean, I, I am... I'm, I'm open up. I'm on that journey to have a healthy fear of God because I believe the healthier my fear of God is, the more pleasure I'm going to bring Him. Because I'm going to worry about what He thinks more than what you think. I'm going to worry about what he thinks more than what they think. It changes how we look at things. But the other thing this verse says is because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. So apparently this fear of God is not just about Pat. It's not just about you. Apparently, one of the reasons he wants us to have this healthy respect for him is that we might persuade others. We should care about others because they're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. We should have that healthy fear and care. And therefore, because we care, our care has an expression called persuading others. Well, Pat, I'm really not good on talking with others. I'll leave that to you. You're a preacher. You should do that, right? Yeah, right. I should. But so should you because you go by his name, Christian. We are disciples of him. And so we have to have it as our objective to help other people embrace him. Because that's his heart. His heart wasn't just for me. It wasn't just for you. 
It wasn't. It was for humanity. He cares about humanity getting engaged with him and embracing him. And so because we fear the Lord, we persuade others. That is our reason. Not because we want to. Not because we have time to. Not because we're skilled at that and gifted at that. But because we fear the Lord. And so that's our objective. So, Sheila and I have this discussion um, on why, why I do some of the things I do. Um, and uh, so, um, so if I see a marriage that is going through trouble, and I, I see recognize it, I want to help it. Well, what if you weren't invited into the situation, Pat? I don't care. I want to help it. You know why? Because I know what it's like coming up on 44 years of marriage. I know what it's like to have times where things aren't going right. And I know the blessing of making it through. But, but things don't always go right. And we need help. I needed help in my marriage early on, and I got some help in my marriage early on. I don't want somebody's marriage to crash when it might make it. So because of that, I do what is uncomfortable for somebody else, and it's uncomfortable for me. I talk about it with them. Hey, are things going okay? How's your marriage going? Why? Because I know what can happen if it doesn't. If it doesn't get help. And because of that, I don't want to see a marriage crash. Because I, you know, I'm, I'm sure we had a few times where that almost happened early on in the marriage. Because, you know, we have, uh, in most marriages you have two, in this case we have two firstborn people that are slightly hard-headed. And, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to live together is not always easy. Just telling you young people, you know, it's not always easy. And, and so we have to really have the blessing and the help of God on how to do that. And so in the same way, somebody not encountering Jesus Christ is going to have much more severe, everlasting, devastating consequences. And so because of that, God says, because you fear me, and I've made something plain to you. You need to do it. And so he says that I should persuade others. That we should persuade others. What about Christians? Maybe they are already saved. Okay. That's really great. But what if they're stuck? What if they're stuck? Do I persuade them? Do I get out of my comfort zone to help other people? Well, I don't want anybody messing with my business. I understand that. But I care for you. I care for you. So let's look at verse 12. I'm sorry, the last part of uh, verse 11. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but 
are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Again, remember, Paul's addressing these uh, erroneous Christian leaders and um, they were... um, Paul, they were beating up Paul. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this line of theology, but if you're walking with God, then your life should be right. Well, guess what? Sometimes when you walk with God, there's trouble. And so uh, um, they were kind of pointing at Paul. Look at him. He's in and out of prison. People are beating him up, kicking him out of cities. Look at him. I mean, he's obviously not doing something right. And so he, they're, they're making this comments and so he's addressing that when he says um, that I uh, we commend ourselves to you again well I we come here as the one who birthed that church he planted that church and he, um, we come to you again and he's reestablishing that he has a place that God has given him in their lives and he says that uh, it's better for you to take pride in what is in the heart than what is seen That's the ending verse we are on. It's better for you to look at the heart of a person than just be limited by what you see. And so he's called us to do that. Verse 13. If we are out of our mind, that's what they were saying about him. As some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14. For God's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Do you feel compelled to love others in how you represent God? Who compels you? What pushes your buttons to speak of Him? What what happens inside you that makes you want to get uncomfortable and share Jesus with somebody? What, 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 I know some of the things that come against you, but what compels you? What comes against you are things like, well, I don't know all the Bible. What if they ask me a question I don't know? Well, I don't really have time right now. I've, I've got to run to... Well, they haven't asked me what I thought about something. I know what comes against you. I know all those things. But what compels you? What compelled Paul was the love of God. It was the love that Jesus showed that compelled him to do something. That compelled him to walk into the uncomfortable. That compelled him to care about people maybe he was barely in relationship with. But he knew the forever ramifications of sharing versus not sharing. Well, I'll let somebody else do it. Okay. So God is after us. He, he has, Pat, I've blessed you enough with knowing about me. Why won't you care for others the same way I cared for you? I'm, I'm inviting you to be a part of that. I'm inviting you to be a part of what I'm doing. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them. And was raised again. So this is a journey, right? Um, 
if you've ever been on any length of journey, um, if you've ever been on a hike in the woods, if you've ever lived long enough to be on a journey to get through high school or to a journey to find people to walk with in your life or a journey to grow in your career, whatever, whatever your journey we're talking about, there are some setbacks from time to time. I get that. There are. Okay. There's setbacks. But he says that he died for all, that those who live, that would be us, should no longer live for themselves. Do you feel obligated to live for him? It's not a trick question. Do you feel obligated to live for him? And if not, why not? That's, that's a common thing I ask myself all the time. If not, why not? Do you recognize how big God's sacrificial gift of his son Jesus is? Do you get what, it, what really happened there? Do you get that he and Jesus were in forever relationship? And he's God. Jesus is God. And he laid down his royal robes and came to earth as a baby and grew up around other people that were going to teach him. And he was fully God and he was fully man all at the same time. And yet, even as we took communion, when Jesus started his ministry and he chose 12, one of them was Judas Iscariot and he gave him the power to lay hands on the sick and to share the gospel and all those th- things, knowing that three years later he was going to betray him. Wow. I don't think I would have done that, God. Okay, but he did. He says... And so he gave assignments to us to walk out his purposes. And Jesus died on the cross that we would be free. Pretty amazing. And so he he asked us, would you live for me? Okay, I, I lived and died for you. Will you live for me? And that's a tough question because each of us has to answer that. Each of us has to say, I'll live for you. Isn't it kind of ludicrous that the God of all creation would give his life for you and we won't do that in the uncomfortable ways of sharing with others? Verse 16 says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I'm not just going to think of what I see. How you're dressed, who you are, how you acted toward me, how you didn't act toward me, you didn't say hi to me today. All those things. I'm not going to just analyze it from a worldly view. I'm going to look a little deeper. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we walked alongside Christ in the earth, so we kind of regarded him that way. We do no longer. How do you analyze and plan your upcoming afternoon? Your evening that's coming ahead? Your week that's coming ahead? How do you do that? 
according to what you see with your natural eyes or are you willing to go a little bit deeper? In other words, do we just depend on input for our discernment? Is it primarily or maybe exclusively by what we can figure out? Or is there a faith element about it? We're coming to a close here, but verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. I think many of us have memorized it where um, we are a new creation. The old is gone. So e- either way you're, you're, you're um, reading it, um, the words old and new are, are diametrically opposed. They are polar. Old, new. Old, new. So we are this old and new creation. Um, we are not reformed. We are not rehabilitated. And we are not re-educated. We are recreated. We are recreated into something brand new. For you are a new creation. In Jesus. When you receive Jesus as Lord, you are not merely turning over a new leaf. Something much more radical has happened. Much more radical has happened. It's not that you've been re educated, it's not been that you've been reformed. You're better now. I'm a little bit better now. It's not that you've been rehabilitated from goofing up and now you don't goof up as much. This is not merely behavior modification. This is a change, a new life that he is creating in us. It's the beginning of a new life with a new master. So all of us, uh, verse 18... All this is from God who reconciled, bought back, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You know, the more I get it, I'm on that journey of knowing God like you are to a greater level. The more I get what he did, not counting my sins against me, the more it makes me break down in tears. The, the more I, in my private time with the Lord, I'm like, oh God, How could you and why would you? But he did. He is not counting your sins against you. And let me make it even stronger. I got saved when I was 16. I certainly sinned before I was 16. And I I repented of those sins and I cried out to God and he saved me. According to his word. I got bad news. Your pastor sinned again. And again. And again. And again. Why would I? I don't know. I just did. 
And I had to come to him for forgiveness. I came to him for forgiveness. And when I think about his great reconciliation, that that he reconciled my sin, including future sin, by his great grace and power and blessing, it brings tears to my eyes. Lord, I'm so unworthy of this. I'm so unworthy of this. God sent his son to take all your sin upon himself and he punished his son. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This is the verse we've been after. Sorry, I had to give you all those other verses. I had to give you those verses because if you didn't know how bad the situation is, then why would you want to be an ambassador? If you didn't understand that your sin separated you, if you didn't understand that his great mercy and kindness compels us, then why would you want to be his representative? So verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This is a scary part. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So he has commissioned you, appointed you, and assigned you to be his ambassador, not merely his disciple. Because of how we use language different from country to country and generation to generation, we have to remember what it's actually meaning that God is making his appeal to us and that he's called us to be his ambassadors. It is part of salvation. Because you live your life no longer for yourself. It is part of salvation. So you want to be saved? You're going to be an ambassador. Well, can I just be saved? conversion no you need to be a disciple that's the call that we have been asked to do so we are to represent him so I have to ask myself at the end of the day did I represent well your compassion Lord did I represent well your love to others Lord who are different than me did I represent well your power Lord and next week Pastor Matt is going to be talking on his power. Did I represent your power well through me? See, I don't have to have it in myself. I just have to walk in his Holy Spirit power. So these are self-audits that are pretty interesting. I have to ask myself, is my Christianity more religion or relationship? And I would ask you that. If you just come to church for church, or because you're supposed to, you're missing the relationship. If you're just going to small group because you should, you're missing the relationship. If you're not sharing his way out of somebody's problem through Jesus, you're missing the relationship. We are to be in relationship with him, not religion. There's tons of religions out there. But there's one that has the power of the living God. 
Maybe you're more afraid of what others think than what God thinks. I've been there. I've been there. I don't like being there. I'm on my journey to get way past that. I'm not there yet, but I'm really working on that. To be more concerned what he thinks than what they think. Because that way, I will open my mouth regardless of what they say. I will lay hands on the sick regardless of it's a... We're in a restaurant. Okay. Now, no shame is intended here. Please. I told you this is going to be uplifting. And you're going to say, when's that going to happen? But I I want you to know that there is... This is a no shame message. But it's a wonderful self-audit place to look and to say, I want to be your ambassador. I want to walk in that power. I want to walk in that love. I want to have that compassionate heart for people. Because right now, it's just, I just stay in my lane. Our sin was poured out into Jesus at the crucifixion. Your sin was poured into Jesus at the crucifixion. And his righteousness was poured into you at your conversion. At the time you accepted Jesus as your Lord, his righteousness was poured into you. And that's why you, you may have felt a little awkward when Pastor Stan was praying up here earlier and he, he was saying, you know, we're, we're worthy of coming before you, Lord. You know why? It's only because of Jesus. It's, it's not because of us. It's only because of him. So at the cross, our sin was poured into Jesus. Past, present, and future sin. At our receiving him as our Lord and leader, He poured his righteousness into us. You know, um, oh, I'm running out of time. I'll just have to tell you about this. Isaiah 53. You can look at it later. We're not going to have the time to go through it right now. But hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene in bodily form, Isaiah writes this amazing prophecy about Jesus coming and what's going to happen with his life. So, just because of time, I'm going to ask you to read that on your own. What does it mean to be converted? What does it mean to walk with Jesus as your Lord? What does it mean to you for your next step with God? I know many of you have been maybe uh, watching on YouTube and uh, reading in the news a lot about revival these days. A lot about revival, the power of the living God coming. Revival comes when people see their need and they repent. And you may be one of the vessels that helps them see their need and helps them know how to repent. Revival comes when people humble themselves and pray. So, When I realize I'm not all of that, then I, I'm, I'm beginning to humble myself. 
And when I pray and engage with God, then I can be a recipient of personal revival, which then leads to church revival, which then leads to community revival. It starts right here with us. Revival starts right here with us. It starts right here where we will humble ourselves and therefore be teachable. Lord, I'm not all that. Will you help me? Will you forgive me? Well, I'm going to repent, Lord. I need your empowerment to walk differently. And Lord, I, I want to pray. You know, it's been said that uh, God's letter to us is his word. Our letter to him is our prayers. So write him a letter. Pray. Talk with God. Communicate with him. I'm going to give you four summary questions today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to give you uh, four summary questions today on what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. Is that good? Yeah, I've got to tell you at the end what I told you so that you can wake back up and say, okay, I got it. That was a joke. I know y'all really... Was that, was that good, Logan? That was a good joke, wasn't it? Okay, four summary questions. Number one, do your ambitions include God's ambitions for you each day? This is something to ask. This is something to say, God, I want your ambitions, not just my ambitions. See, we go after our ambitions. So that's why it's important to include God in this. Because we're going to go after our ambitions. Number two, will you actually try to persuade others in their need for God? Will you do that? He, he calls us to do that in this section that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Will you actually try to persuade others in their need for God? Number three, does Christ's love compel you to be involved in his purposes? He's so loving to you. Come on. You know that. He's given you grace upon grace. He loves you. Does it compel you to be involved in his purposes? And the fourth thing is because of his great gift to you, will you choose to live for him instead of simply what you want to do? Because of what he did, will you choose to live for him? Will you choose to live for him? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time that you have given us. Oh Lord, I thank you for the power of your word that it has the power to change lives. Power to change lives for salvation. Power to change lives where we're stuck in sin and disappointment, hurts, personal pain. Father, I thank you that your word can open our eyes to things that we have not been able to grab a hold of. Oh, so holy God, I thank you that you have called us to be your ambassadors, to be your representatives. And Lord, I just, you know, I, I just want to be the leader among our church.
that says, I haven't always been more concerned about being your ambassador than doing what I want to do. And so, Father, forgive me and cleanse me and let me be among the leaders of this church that are all in for you and your purposes. Who are all in and being grateful for your great love. Who are responding to your great gospel. Who are all in and wanting to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are here for you, Lord, and we bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you're physically able, I'm just going to ask you all to stand and to come forward. We're going to praise and worship the Lord for just a second as we kind of continue here. So I'm just going to ask everybody to come forward. And we're going to praise and worship Him and um, honor Him in, um, in our prayer, in our hearts. And so let's just uh, spend some time honoring the Lord. Just come on, bunch all in here. It's all good. Go ahead, Angela. Angela.